You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. Folks, my guest today is on a mission to show the whole nation how easy it is to make a loaf of bread. Cooking that is simple and easy and delicious too. She has a brand new book out called The Ballymaloo Bread Book. And I'm delighted to be joined by chef, TV personality and founder of Ballymaloo Cookery School, Darina Allen. Darina, welcome to Real Health. How are you? I'm very well. I'm delighted to be talking to you. I'm looking forward to this. I'm slightly nervous, but I'm looking forward to it nonetheless because I'm not the best cook in the world. And I, and I don't cook bread whatsoever. So I'm intrigued by this. Anyway, let's get cracking. Um, where did the idea for a bread book come from? Because you've written, 20, this is your 21st book. So where did the idea for this one come from? Well, I'll tell you what now. The original Ballymaloo Bread Book was published in 2001. It's still in print after 20 years. But a lot has happened, as you can imagine. A lot has happened in the last 20 years. Uh, we've added loads more breads and everything like that to our repertoire. And uh, so uh, basically there were a couple of things that kick-started this revised edition. And uh, one of them was, well, uh, here at the uh, Ballymaloo Cooking School, we started a, a bread shed in a, in a sort of container in uh, 2016. And we really started making um, sourdough bread in earnest uh, at that and that's like a wonderful little teaching kitchen lots of magic happens there but uh, and the other couple of things then another trigger was of course during COVID everybody went on a mad frenzy of trying to make banana bread and and uh, um, and sourdough bread and sourdough is definitely not the one to start on if you've never made bread before um, although it's super simple really once you get your head around how easy it is and it can be fitted into any kind of uh, weekly schedule but basically um so the, the so there was all that frenzy during COVID. And then, do you remember the beast from the east? I do. When the whole country shut down because of all the <laughs> snowstorms and everything. And then, of course, after a couple of days, um, uh, you know, a lot of things ran out in the supermarkets, fresh food and indeed bread. And there in the aisles of the supermarket, there were people squabbling over the last sliced pan. And I literally saw people sort of like trying to tear, mm-hmm. tug one from somebody else. And there, a couple of aisles over... There was, uh, of course, there was flour and bicarbonate soda and buttermilk. And I thought, oh, my God, um, people have totally forgotten how easy it is to make a little loaf of soda bread, the breads of our country, or they never learned in the first place because now everybody's so busy that, you know, with both members of the family working. That you, I, you see, I never really remember learning how to make bread. Uh, I was just always going on at home. I'm the eldest of nine children and my mother loved to cook and she made brown bread every single day of her life. Even at the end of her life when she'd had a stroke and one of her arms was a bit paralyzed, uh, she literally would make it with one hand. But when I just remember all of this going on and I would, when I was almost just barely tall enough to see over the kitchen table, I'd watch her making bread. She'd give me a little lump of the dough and I'd make it into a little round. And then I'd cut a, a, a cross in it, which is the traditional blessing. And then I'd prick it in the four corners to let the fairies out of the bread. And uh, if you didn't let the fairies out of the bread, the fairies would jinx your bread. You see, they were always up to mischief. And then I'd put it in on the baking tray into the essay, a bit like an aga cooker, and it would bake alongside hers and then it would come out. And of course, it'd be as hard as a rock because I'd have overhandled it. But everybody would say it was delicious. So that's how I learned how to make uh, soda bread, either white soda bread or brown soda bread. 
And then when I came to Ballymaloo uh, and um, met Myrtle Allen, who later became my mother-in-law, she taught me how to make a, a loaf of Ballymaloo brownies bread. And, you know, like many people, I was very wary of yeast. A lot of people are scared to bits of yeast. They think, oh, my God, all that kneading and all that, you know, a double rising and everything and, you know, all that work. Uh, but basically, there's... This is the Ballymoo Brownies bread is a brilliant one to get started on because there's no kneading at all involved and uh, only one rising. So and it's a delicious, super nutritious uh, bread that you can eat for several days as well. Or if it's even if it's quite stale, you can cut into really, really um, paper thin slices and dry them out in the oven and use that as little um, croutons to go with cheese. And so anyway, but so the the bread from the then I just thought well that's it after I saw people uh, tugging loaves of sliced pan from each other I thought well something has to be done and you know the soda bread is the the one to start on really because you know the next time you're out of bread instead of thinking well where are my car keys now to get down to the shops or the whatever just turn on the oven grab a bowl um weigh out a pound of flour a level teaspoon of bicarbonate soda, a level teaspoon of salt, 14 fluid ounces of buttermilk, mix it up in the bowl uh, and into the hot oven. And if you make it into little scones, if you're in a hurry, they'll be out in 10 minutes. And if you uh, make it into a loaf of bread, it'll take maybe 30 minutes, 35 minutes uh, before it comes out of the oven. And then by the, that, you wouldn't even have found your car keys and be back from the shops <laughs> by the time it's out of the thing. So I really need people, a lot of people say to me, look, where will I get time to make bread? You know, there, or I can't possibly make bread. And if I, you know, if I could only be my legacy that I have somehow or other got people to realize that any Egypt can make a loaf of bread. Uh, you know, if you follow a recipe, turn on the oven, follow that recipe on the brown or white. I've, I've never, I've never seen white soda bread. I've only ever seen kind of the, you know, the brown soda bread. And actually, most of the, what you see as soda bread nowadays uh, is actually made uh, in a loaf tin, whereas originally it was made in a round and and literally with, with the cross on top of it and people sometimes would go over to the holy water font by the door and sprinkle it with a bit of holy water before they and of course that varies out but before they put it into a pot oven over the open fire and they would put some of the embers from the turf fire on top of it some of you and your listeners may remember learning seeing this from their grandmother I, my great aunt Lil showed me how to make it in Tipperary and you know it was an incredibly more skillful way of cooking uh, then nowadays there's no excuse for us because we have ovens with thermostats. But you can actually, a lot of older people say to me, oh, you know, the Bastable bread, I loved it and it was so lovely and the crust was so nice and soft. But you can reproduce that practically exactly by putting the, do the dough into like a casserole uh, or a lacruza casserole or something, uh, a hot casserole, put it with the lid on, put it into the oven and it kind of steams inside it. It is wonderful. So you can reproduce. That's what memories are made of. But you're too young to remember any of that. But anyway, <laughs> you have a go now. You have a go after that. I will. Yeah. I, you, see, I love when people come on who are experts in their field and they have a real grow and a real passion for what they do because they make it, everything sound so simple and so easy. But and, it is. Know. I've made a career out of simple. And the reason why my books sell and all the rest of it is two things. One, because... So many of my recipes are really simple to do. And also the recipes really work because they have been tested and tested. Because I think as a cookery writer, my, my first 
um, responsibility is to make sure that the recipes in my cookbooks work because otherwise, particularly for people who are beginning, you know, they do, they pick up a recipe, they do it and it doesn't work and they blame themselves. The people who are starting, they think, oh, I can't cook, I can't cook. But you'd be surprised how many recipes and cookbooks are not properly tested and it's not fair to people. So I take that responsibility quite strongly. But anyway, there you are. Do you, do you think that, you know, how, you know, cooking in the last couple of years has become very trendy and very cool and all of that. Do you think that bread has got left behind, that people will cook the other dishes because they perceive it to be a little bit easier or a little bit more uh, accessible maybe? And they just, they've forgotten about even thinking about b- baking bread. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's possible uh, that, but honestly, now think about it. You can have people around supper or something and do all your star turns. But if you actually make a little bit of bread, put a few little scones into the oven, maybe dip them in in a cheddar cheese or something, you can add all sorts of things uh, to the, uh, particularly to the white soda bread. You can even use it as a base for pizza. But anyway, your friends coming around, you're doing all your things. You have a little bit of lovely fresh bread coming out of the oven. Everybody will remark on the bread. And that's the thing that probably will have taken you the shortest time of anything you do. So it's definitely a block we have somehow or other. And then, I mean, you talk about cooking becoming very popular. My God, when you think about it, the most important thing to be able to do, whatever, all the other skills, whether you're an astronaut or whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, architect, the one thing we have to do is eat every day. And what are we like? And indeed, for that matter, I really think that our government, our Department of Education, um, our, our schools are failing on their duty of care to this generation. And indeed, the, the current generation and the next generation, by letting them out of our houses and our schools without the basic skills to feed themselves properly. And you, hey, look at it. The less more de-skilled we are, we've become incredibly de-skilled, the more dependent we are on other people. And we're playing right into the hands of the multinational food companies, the less we, and the people who produce all that uh, ultra-processed food, which we now know is killing us, there's no doubt about it. And the more, less we know, the less skilled we are, the more they better they like it because we're completely dependent. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Bring me back to um, that recipe earlier on for the soda bread because a it sounded really really simple. But I want I want to go yeah. back there and bring us through that step by step for people listening okay. in because it sounded so easy and it sounded delicious. Yeah. So, what are the key the key ingredients people need to have to make it? First thing, you're out of bread. You're nearly out of bread. You turn on the oven. Okay, the oven must be fully preheated. Then you grab yourself a nice wide bowl that you can mix in. You get, a, uh, you get your scales and you weigh out a pound or 450 grams of plain white flour. Okay. Into that, you put a level teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda, sieve it into it or rub it between your hands as our grandmothers always did. And then a level teaspoon of salt into the bowl, run your fingers through that to make sure you, um, you know, that you mix the bicarbonate of soda and the salt evenly through it. Then make a well in the center and measure out 14 fluid ounces of buttermilk. And if you if it's low-fat buttermilk, uh, take out a couple of tablespoons and add a couple of tablespoons of cream if you have it. Because, uh, you know, people used to use whole uh, lovely rich milk before. Anyway, then so you have your flour and your salt and your bicarbonate soda in the bowl and make a well in the center, a little space in the center. Pour the, the buttermilk into it and then take your... Hold the side of the bowl, and if you're right-handed or whichever, reverse it if the other way around. Um, hold the side of the bowl and make your hand into a claw uh, uh, with your fingers outstretched, and then into the, right into the middle of the bowl and stir in a full circular movement from the center to the outside of the bowl. 
and then the bread is made. Okay, it literally takes about the length of time it, uh, I'm, it does for me to tell you. And then you put a, a sprinkle a bit of flour over the worktop, turn it out onto the worktop, tidy it around the edges. Um, well, actually, it's no harm after you've mixed it to wash your hands and dry them, not because it's just so that it's not sticky. And then you tidy it around the edge, flip it over, and then kind of tuck in the sides so that it comes up into a round, flatten it a little bit, uh, not too much, but to about an inch and a half with your uh, fingers, then cut a deep cross in it uh, with uh, a knife. And uh, traditionally that was looked on as a blessing for the bread. Um, and, but basically it also has a very practical uh, reason because the last place the heat will penetrate is in the center of the bread. And so if you cut across and it'll open out in the center and the heat will penetrate in there and then you prick it in the four corners uh, to let the fairies out of the bread, as I've mentioned several times before. Uh, and then you just lift it up, put it onto a baking tray, slide it straight into the preheated oven. That's very important. And then it'll take about 30, 35 minutes uh, uh, to cook. And when you're, if you're not sure when it's cooked, take it out, tap the base, and it should sound sort of slightly hollow on the bottom. And, and heating at 180, I presume? Oh, uh, no, put it in. That Well done for asking about that. So basically put it in at 230 centigrade. And then after about 15 minutes, turn it down to 200. Well done for asking me that. I should have said it. And then, if, but otherwise, supposing you wanted to just make scones, you could flatten it out, the dough out a little bit more, and then just cut it into squares or rounds or whatever you like. And actually, I'd love to maybe brush the top with a, um, a little bit of buttermilk or egg wash and dip it into, say, grated cheese if you want to serve them with soup or with supper, oh, yeah. something. Or otherwise, if you want marmalade, just leave it out. So it's... Even if you're only able to make one bread, to be able to make that white soda bread uh, would be a brilliant thing because it's so versatile. And then also, if you want brown, of course, you'd use half wholemeal flour and half white or three quarters wholemeal and white. There you are. Now, there's your tutorial. <laughs> I, have my, I have my homework from the master for, for, uh, for when I go home this weekend. One of the things I'm, I, I, I'm imagining as you're talking through there is and the, the, the steps that you're talking through is I can see a family making that bread and the children loving the texture of mixing it together yeah. with their hand. Yeah. And that whole idea of family cooking and learn and teaching children basic skills is really important, isn't it? So, so important. Oh my goodness. It's, uh, it's the same thing. I mean, years ago, the, the, the skills were passed on from mother to daughter. Weren't even, didn't even talk about teaching. They just, you helped to do things. And actually, in a way, I think nowadays, when I, when I was a child, there were nine of us anyway, for a start. We all had our little jobs and we took that completely for granted. So, of course, we all helped with peeling and chopping and helping mommy to do this and that and the other and feeding the hens, the scraps from the cooking went to the hens and came back as eggs a few days later, etc. So we learned all those things. So in a way, oftentimes people say, well, no, nobody helps me now. And then it makes the the mother or the person who's cooking in the, in the house so resentful but I mean, somehow to get it, get them started, maybe even making pancakes or something together and cooking them and the whole, to get a bit of fun into it. And then, you know, the funny thing is if kids are involved in the mm -hmm. cooking yep. or better still as well, the other really important yeah. thing is uh, in the spring to, to buy a few packets of seeds and, and, and sow seeds with them. And, you know, it could be anything from radishes to lettuces to carrots to peas, of course, are wonderful as well. Um, and now a lot of kids don't know that peas come out of a pod. I mean, I've had that. I saw in my own students here, I saw somebody going out of a pea pod 
there a couple of months ago with the knife and fork. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought that was such a failure. <laughs> and, of course, with, with Christmas coming up, uh, Christmas is a lovely time to do something like that, where get the family around, get the children involved. It's half yeah. an hour turnaround in terms of making it. And you could, yeah, you, you can just see that image. Can I ask you something totally random uh, and totally away from bread for a second? What, uh, purely because I was watching a program about it last night and when I knew I was going to chat yourself, I wanted to ask you, what's your take on air fryers? Air fryers. Well, now I actually don't have one because I have an aga, you know, and uh, all of that. But some people seem to think they're great. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, are the people who bought them a couple of years ago still using them day in, day out? Or is that another thing that's assigned to the back of the cupboard? But I'll tell you what I do think is a very good idea. And again, I don't have one my, well, I think I do have one, but I don't use it that much, but because I have it again, because I have this old Argus stove, which everything can bubble away on. But uh, actually the slow cookers, I really think are brilliant, particularly nowadays when I don't know how all the young people, um, both of them working, several kids can actually keep all the balls in the air. It's all very fine for me to say, you know, for goodness sake, cook something uh, and, uh, and put it down the middle of the, of the the family table, sit around the table, even if it's only for a couple of nights a week. But I, uh, you know, the the really, it's it's incredibly difficult for people. But the slow cooker means that you can indeed put something on in the morning, and it's kind of bubbling and hot, and a great big pot of it when you come home from work, and so on. So that's a, a I that's a piece of a thing I really think is worth it. And of course, that's the idea of that one pot kind of meal, isn't it? Which is great for the yeah. winter when it's cold. You yeah. have a lovely warm, hearty kind of... My my, gran, my my grandmother used to make sausage stew like that. She It'd be on for yeah. hours and it'd be it'd be delicious by the time you actually got to eat it. It'd be, yeah. you know, it's a very wintry kind of uh, t- togetherness kind of food. That's lovely, comforting food, uh, basically. But actually, the, the before, like the last book I think I wrote was The Way to Cook. And that was literally for people who hadn't had time to learn or for, um, you know, young people or for people going to university or something about a few, a certain number of basic recipes with riffs on them. But the one before that was called One Pot Feeds All. And I absolutely love that, you know, with a big roasting tin in the oven with lots of potatoes and a bit, bit of meat or it could be bean stew or it could be whatever. Or indeed, for that matter, it could be a lovely apple tart or apple crumble or just one pot put it down in the middle of the table and everybody tuck into it again that's what memories are made of and you see I was brought up as I said before I was the eldest of nine kids and my mother loved to cook we were so lucky and we had a kitchen garden and we had hens with blah blah all the rest of it and our own milky we even had a Kerry cow but basically um she really used to regularly say how important it was to put the effort into cooking and putting the food on the table because if you didn't put your effort into the uh, the food on the table you give it to the doctor or the chemist so i totally absolutely knew um, that our food was our medicine that it was our food should be our medicine not little bottles of pills and tonics and all that sort of thing and it, nothing's changed if we invest in food then actually there's plenty of research there to show the less you spend on food the more you spend on meds. It literally goes like that. And of course, food doesn't have to be expensive. So you might be spending less on food, but in the same boat, food uh, that you make yourself, that you prep yourself, it's genuinely cheaper than a lot of the prepackaged stuff. uh, Or it can be. Well, it is, and it sadly isn't. Because sometimes 
uh, I mean, uh, the, sometimes some of the, the ultra processed food are actually cheaper. You couldn't do it for it. But hey, you are what you eat. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of that food is neither nourishing nor sustaining. You eat one slice of good bread and you know you've eaten something. You, you might even think about it, but you're, you feel satisfied. You can eat three or four slices of squishy sliced bread. Nothing happens, basically. So it, in a way, and also, but you see, here's where being able to cook comes into thing. You can't, you can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear if you can actually cook. You can take a mm -hmm. bag of potatoes, mm -hmm. which cost you a couple of euros, some carrots, something, maybe a bit of streaky bacon, a bit of breast of lamb, which is so much lovely flavor, and things that are not expensive, put them together. And as you, like your grandmother did, let them simmer away nice and slowly. And you have something super delicious. You can't do that if you can't cook. And so I, I just, I often meet now really, really, you know, highly achieving um, young people and all younger than me now, of course. Uh, but anyway, and God bless us, some of them can't make toast. I had, during the pandemic, I had this woman, she was the CEO of one of the top international companies in Dublin. And she rang me up. She had come down a couple of times before. She rang me up and she was in tears at the end of the phone. She was up because remember you couldn't go out, you couldn't do anything, no restaurants, etc. And she literally did not know how to start to shop, not to speak of, she could hardly make toast. And here was this woman who could run the country, basically, feeling utterly and totally helpless. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what are we like? And for goodness sake, let all young people hear this. It doesn't matter what else you do, make a little time to learn how to cook. And it doesn't have to be rocket science. If you get, if you have eight or 10 techniques, you can do a million things. I can teach people how to cook a ton of things, even in a day, but in a week, basically. And I, what I love is when people come into me and they think they can't cook anything. And then I show them how to do a few things and they say, yay, I can cook. You know, it's like with that one skill, sorry to go back to bread again, but that one skill, how many different drifts can you do on it? You can make a bowl of soup, you can make an omelet, you can make a scrambled egg. You can make a little stew, you know. I mean, if you have a few eggs, oh my goodness, if you have eggs, eggs and potatoes and whatever. I promise you this, between uh, now and next week uh, for our next episode, I'm going to make that bread with my son at home because I can imagine him with his hands uh, mixing it all around. Uh, he's going to absolutely love it. It's been fantastic catching up with you. Great Lovely. content and great tips as always. And the very best of luck with the book. And it's available in bookstores nationwide at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I just want to say one other thing, because a lot of people now have, of course, a gluten intolerance. Again, it's a reflection of, you know, um, what we're doing to food to make it uh, cheaper, basically. And it's kind of it's a terrible impact on our health. But there's a really good gluten-free chapter in this book, which was written, I can say it's really good, because it was actually written by one of my senior teachers, Debbie Shaw, who's a Celia, who's a gluten-free herself, and she's a super cook. And so all those yummy, they're yummy, delicious things in that chapter for people who might think they're missing out because they're gluten-free. Serena Allen, it's been amazing catching up. I've really, really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. The very best of luck with the book and everything down in Ballymaloo. And uh, we'll catch up very, very soon. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. A fascinating insight into bread making. Make that bread because I'm going to make it between this week and next, I promise. As ever, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. And we'll see you next week. Have a made that bread. Slong a full. <laughs>